Welcome to Invest Stories, a podcast about real stories, real estate, and taking real action. Join hosts John Cooper and Kyle Robertson as they talk investing, mindset, and taking that first step. We all have a story. What's yours? The Invest Stories Podcast. Welcome to Wednesday Wins. We're talking all about the wins and successes and uh, failures in part of our, our guests today, but also actions you can take to get started on your journey or level up kind of where you're at in your investing journey. Uh, so we're super excited to bring you that that content. Don't forget to jump on social media and reach out to us, Investories Pod, uh, on Instagram, on TikTok. Uh, we also have a YouTube channel link in the comments. Uh, below we, and uh, uh, yeah, you know. I tell you what, the insurance thing, especially this year, has just been disgusting. And I, I'm in Oregon, so I'm not in a high risk state. You know, we don't have big natural disasters here all the time. It just rains for nine and a half months out of the year. But I still had a 30% increase in in insurance, which is actually it was a 40% increase in insurance, which is just an outrageous amount. Um, but I think you know, insurance is a, is a it's an interesting beast. You know, any, anybody, you know, you look at these these big companies and if they have a nasty season down in Florida or a bunch of tornadoes tore through Arkansas and destroyed, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in buildings, guess who gets to pay for all that? Well, everybody else who's on their ledger. And uh, it's just kind of a, it's almost become systemic in a way. And it's, it's, it's really painful. But um, I'm glad that you brought up partnerships just because we like talking about partnerships on here. It's, it, every partnership is different. It's always unique. I'm curious how, first of all, was your partner your partner from the beginning? And if not, how did you finally decide that it made more sense to, to start a partnership? Yeah, so that's definitely a great question. And actually, I don't think I'd be in real estate now if I didn't uh, decide it was time to partner. So as I mentioned, I was doing pretty much everything on my own with a small, multi, small multifamily house hacking and then some of the off-market deal finding um, so I got on my own up to 27 rental units and that burnt me out of real estate. I mean, I was almost just exhausted. I mean, I was property managing, I was bookkeeping, I was finding my deals, finding my deals, every part of it, um, negotiating everything. And it burnt me out. And once I started the first partnerships, we'll say that I had was partnering with property managers, just offloading some of the work, uh, a bookkeeper, a CPA, whatever I could to offload the work for myself. And then um, when I wanted to get into wholesaling, I partnered with another uh, new wholesaler just so we could learn together. And just splitting the responsibilities was so valuable for me. And we had different, we had complementary skill sets. So that was my first true partnership. And um, doing that and seeing how when I tried to do it on my own, it took months just to get maybe a 10K assignment. Then partnering with someone, we were able to quickly get over 100K uh, in assignments within the first year of doing that. And I was like, okay, wait, there's something to this. And um, when I decided that I wanted to continue with real estate, continue growing my pro, uh, portfolio, I partnered with another very like-minded uh, military or veteran. Um, and we were just on the same exact wavelength. We had the same work ethic. And, you know, we did, we, when I partner, I partner with someone, we, we just date for a little bit, right? So we say no LLC, nothing contractually obligated. You know, we'll date for 30, 60, 90 days preset. If we like it, we move forward. If we don't, you know, let's stop it. It's perfect. No, no harm, no foul. So we did that for 90 days and quickly blew a lot of our uh, goals out of the water. And then just like, I don't even think it took 
60 days. We just said, hey, all right, let's create our LLC. We do this for five years with one-year options after that. And it's just been great. And it's really helped me scale up massively. And him, because he's got more visionary tendencies. He loves to talk to people. And I like to talk to people, but you know, I don't like to actively negotiate more than I have to with a seller or agent. Um, he likes to, he's got really great, big, grand ideas where I'm much more of like the engineer mindset. Like, okay, well, how are we going to do that? Like, what systems do we need in place? How are we going to scale to that point? Uh, what CRM are we going to use? What blah, 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 blah. Like I think of all those things while he's like, all right, we need to start this wholesale team. Cool. All right. Let me figure out how we're going to do that and then let's execute. So we really balance each other out in that regards, but have very similar work ethic and goals. So I think that has really helped, but just we wouldn't know that until we like went through a dating period. So I think I've always mentioned that like if I partner with people, it's always a strategic partnership. There's got to be some true goal behind it, not just partnering to do it arbitrarily, but partnering because we can complement each other and achieve more together than we ever could independently. And, and taking that dating analogy, how how did that work in terms of swiping through um, potential partners? Um, is I guess you go on on a lot of Facebook groups, and everyone needs a partner, and everyone needs money. And I I wonder how you kind of filter that down. Was there a specific group you were in, or a mentorship, or anything like that? Yeah, so I'm part of a couple mentorships, but the one that I'm most notably part of that most people know about is the Sub2 Mentorship with Pace Morby. Um, That's really where I exploded my understanding of creative financing. It went from just seller financing to subject to lease options, variety of creative exits, you know, sober living homes, wraps, whatever. And I just uh, was part of the Zoom calls, in-person meetups, and just started seeing the same person over and over again. And actually, it was my wife that... um, talked to him at a meetup and it was like she she told him she's like she told him to come talk to me because there's just a lot of similarities and as soon as we talked it just clicked because I spent my first month in sub two they always say and most people say this right just your first job is to just network and like connect with like 50 people as soon as you can just to get get an understanding of like who's around you what are they doing how can you potentially help each other and after talking to probably to 20 30 people like it was just like instant with him that I knew like, you know, because I talked to a lot of other people and like, I don't even know how to explain it. Like it just felt right to say, okay, let's move forward with like the dating phase and just give this a trial run and see how it goes. So I think going in always with an open mind, connecting with people, uh, just to connect with people, just to learn more about what they're doing and then seeing if there's some synergy in regards to your goals and then synergy in regards to like work. I think I knew, I mean, 20 plus year, uh, retired marine like i knew i knew his work ethic was solid and then i couldn't imagine you know actually was active when we met but uh now that he's retired like it's just amazing to see that work ethic and knowing how much that's going to translate to our business as well so that was really uh a part of it and like i said i'm more of the integrator and he was uh very much a visionary so it was like a variety of those things like we clicked uh very compatible goals and very compatible work ethic. And then we complemented each other. We didn't have redundant. We didn't have too many redundant skill sets. Sometimes we fight about who's going to actually underwrite the deal because we both like enjoy underwriting and deal structuring. <laughs> so it sounds like you've learned quite a bit of different types of creative financing. Um, do you typically use sub two primarily? Or are you, is that, is that your main go-to? And, and I'm curious what that looks like because I've heard a lot of different 
types, I guess, methods of sub two. Maybe you give, can give just a real brief, very quick uh, explanation of what sub two mm -hmm. is, and then how you what your buy box is for a sub two deal. Yeah, definitely. So my start in creative financing, like I said, was seller financing, and I did really advanced creative financing strategies even before joining sub two. Uh, accidentally, it just kind of happened. But going into subject two, sub two or subject to is when you're buying a property subject to its existing mortgage. So you are taking over ownership of the property, but the existing loan, but the loan that's there stays in the seller's name. So that, that obviously there has to be a certain motivation for a seller to be willing to do that. If they could sell their property conventionally uh, at whatever timeline they want, or whatever price they want, like there's no reason for them to do that. But there's certain motivations or certain scenarios in which that's the best case scenario for everyone. One of those is pre foreclosures because when you're when you're taking over a property subject to, especially right now, like we've really expanded on our sub subject to uh, acquisitions because we're taking over two, three, four percent interest rate deals because you can't find that anywhere else. So a lot of deals that don't make sense if you buy them conventionally right now, even at a lower rate even at a lower price just doesn't it is not comparable to buying something at three percent right so we're able to offer more to the seller make it a more seamless transaction just like you could do with cash kind of but but you can't offer more with cash the hard part with cash is you usually have to buy it at a discount with that cash uh, for that cash acquisition to make sense so with subject to we're able to basically give them a higher purchase price because we're taking over their existing debt. And then if they do have any equity, um, we pay them out on the equity, whether it's cash up front as a down payment or we sell or finance that equity itself. And then I can go into the buy box. Was there any more I could expand on in regards to subject two? But simply like just to expand, simply it's buying the property, taking ownership of it, but the debt stays in the seller's name. What what are the protections in place for that seller if you don't yeah. make the payment? So first and foremost, um, we have the down payment, right? So if whatever we agree to on the down payment, they get that. So if for some reason we get foreclosed on, we don't we don't perform, then they would get everything back because we include in our contracts a performance deed, which basically, um, if you're familiar with like the real estate mortgage payments process, you don't get like, if you're 15 days late, you know, they don't just start a, a foreclosure on you, right? It's like at 30 days, you get a little bit of warnings. Maybe there's a late fee assessed and it takes some time. But we have a performance deed in place that's held with title that basically states if we're late by 15 days on the payment, they they take ownership back of the property. That's the simplest way to explain it. And not only do they take ownership back of the property, but they keep uh, all of the down payment that we provided. They keep all of the payments that we made uh, directly on their uh, mortgage, as well as if there's any seller finance payments to them. And any rehab we did to the property, it's uh, they keep that as well. So... That's kind of the protections really in place for them is that performance deed and then the money that we put up front. But a lot of the times, like I said, if someone's going into foreclosure or they have little to no equity, what are their real options? They're either going to lose the property, uh, they're going to have to short sale it, and that's and both of those options are going to ruin their credit. Or we buy it subject to make payments on their behalf, continue building their credit, and then eventually refinance in a better interest rate market. But I'm not going to refinance a 3% loan into a 6, 7, 8, 9% interest loan until the market, you know, fixes itself, I guess. And in terms of, um, so I guess the question on a lot of our listeners' lips will be, where do you find these people? Where do you find, the, or the property, in fact, where do you find these distressed sellers or 
people that need this help. Yeah, so we basically do the same thing a wholesaler does. We're targeting virtually the same list. We just have more tools in our toolbox to be able to solve that problem. Like I said, if you're going to a pre-foreclosure and someone own, owes, their, let's say someone's loan is at $200,000, or actually here's a better example. Let's do a low equity property. So someone bought the property a year ago, they got a job change, and now they need to sell it, and the market has completely pivoted on them, right? So they are no longer able to sell that property because if they sell it, they're going to have to come out of pocket to pay for that sale because they bought it for 200,000. Even if you list it for $200,000, if anyone's ever purchased the property conventionally, you know, there's a lot of fees baked into that. There's the origination cost loan, whatever. Well, I guess that's more of the sub two getting a new loan, but there's like the, the variety of closing costs. You got to pay the agents, all that stuff. So just cause you sell it for $200,000 doesn't mean you're going to make $200,000 on that deal. And they have a loan in place. So they really can't sell it. And it makes sense that way. So In that scenario, a cash buyer, a cash wholesaler will say, hey, I can buy it from you for 65% of of what it's worth, of the after repair value. So they can only offer them, what's that, $130,000, but there's a $200,000 loan in place. The seller's willing to take a little bit of a loss, potentially, but not a $70,000 loss, right? So then if we take that over subject two, we're able to offer them that full price, cover all of the closing costs, all that. So then at least they can narrowly escape a potentially bad scenario, not lose the property or ruin their credit and just move on with their life. So it's really finding those motivations. Like I said, one of them is uh, low equity on market. We have expired listing. Someone's tried to sell the property, but they couldn't, you know? Um, so the market told them that price, it was overpriced for the, for, for typically like overpriced for a commercial, uh, a conventional buyer who has to pay six, seven, eight, 9% interest. Um, it's, there's, like I said, pre-foreclosures, um, that's direct to seller. There's, there's a variety of different motivations. Really, it's a lot of trial and error and just tracking your KPIs or your key performance indicators to see like what's working in that time and what's not. Because creative finance wasn't doing so great over the last few years only because it was interest rates were so low. Like, why would you even worry about creative finance? I mean, it's less hassle, but like you might as well just just buy it and get a brand new 30 year fixed rate loan on that at two, three, four, five percent, you know, and um, and sellers were really unmotivated back then when if they just held the property, it went up in value, you know, month over month. So it's just a different market cycle right now. And where creative finance is working a lot better than just typical. But like I said, I do it all. So, it you know, it's just having more tools in your tool belt. Yeah. And in terms of then finding a seller. Is, do you use lists? Do you knock on doors? Do you text, mm-hmm. email, all of the above? What, what, is, what does that look like? Yes, all of the above right now. What we're focused on are JVing with others who have done all that groundwork and don't know how to take the deal or take that yeah deal to the finish line. We work with wholesalers who primarily buy cash and would just uh, we educate them on, hey, if, if it hits these criteria, we might actually be able to convert this to a creative deal and then get you some money on that. And we have our own team. Our own team is directly working on direct-to-agent deals. So we pull lists. You can do it through title companies. You can use a variety of software. We utilize PropStream. Uh, there's there's a variety. I, I don't need to list them all, but there's a variety of different uh, tools you can use to just generate those lists. And then depending on if you're reaching out to an agent, you can just find their information online. Or if it's a seller, you just have to skip trace that to get the seller's info and then be able to reach them directly directly. 
But like you mentioned, you can go door knocking. I send uh, letters out to certain sellers and I bought one of my best deals um, was a, a letter um, that I sent to a, a, a tired landlord. Um, yeah, we text, we cold call, like on like traditional or conventional VAs, they do that. Um, but a lot of it, yeah, is calling right now. It's really a lot of relationship building because at the end of the day, we're not just buying properties, we're solving problems. And that mm-hmm. you can't really solve a problem unless you truly understand what that problem is. So, Can you talk to us about, you said about building relationships. What does that cadence look like in terms of um, developing that relationship, let's say from a letter or from a text message? So it's all going to, it's going to totally change depending on your marketing style, right? So if you're door knocking, you're typically door knocking a distressed property or a pre-foreclosure. Um, so that's a different cadence than it is because they are truly distressed. So you're really trying to solve a problem with a very tight timeline to be able to solve that. Otherwise their home is on its way to auction. Um, but when you're text blasting, I think on average, the KPIs, it takes approximately 13 contacts with that person to potentially get a deal out of it. On average, you have to contact that person 13 different times to finally get a deal out of there. With uh, what we're doing with agents, you know, we're always just trying to build rapport. There's four pillars of information you're always trying to gather. It, it changes a little bit on the priority of them. But for me, the number one thing you're always trying to gather is motivation. We no longer waste time on uh, tire kickers, people who might want to sell. We only spend time trying to solve problems for people that truly need to sell. Like I said, we're trying to solve problem, not uh, potentially buy a home from a person who might be interested at some point in the future for the right asking price. For like, no, I, we don't. We don't play that game. Like, we're not here to do that. So, um, the first thing we're always looking for is trying to understand the motivation and see if it's even worth our time pursuing this lead further. Because there's just there's a, so many leads in so many markets that like. You have to get good at filtering that out first and foremost. And then what we're trying to understand, if it's uh, direct to seller, we're trying to understand what price and what timeline they look in to sell. Um, and then what condition is the property in? If it's direct to agent, usually there's a listing already. So you know they're trying to sell it as soon as they can. Um, you know the condition of the property because you have the photos and you'll just, you know, you already have the photos there. Um, so we talked motivation, price. And then the price is listed there. You know what price they're ideally looking for, right? So that one's a little easier. So it's different depending on what you're doing. But we're always looking for motivation number one. Because like I said, we're just trying to solve someone's problem. At the end of the day, that's literally all we do. No, I like that. Kyle, you've done a ton of creative stuff, right? Your first deal was creative um, back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, I I haven't done sub two, um, but I've... I've dabbled in some uh, seller financing deals and uh, some lease option mm-hmm. stuff too. I really like lease options a lot. I think it's underutilized. I don't think people really understand it as much, but it is a uh, it's a great great tool, especially if you already own the place and your your tenant mm-hmm. wants to purchase it. Well, and you're mentioning tool. something huge, right? Creative financing is not just the acquisition of the purchase of the property; it's also yeah. the disposition, like lease optioning it out to someone else, sure. seller financing it, wrapping it, like you can truly maximize the cash flow on a property by a really creative exit as well. If you have all those tools in your toolbox. Absolutely. And Mike, we want to be mindful of your time. What's, what's next for the business? Let me uh, hit one thing though, just to blow your guys' mind about our subject to buy box, like what we're looking for. So what we look for is a cash on cash return of over 30%. We'll buy them as low as 20% and just real simply your cash on cash return is your cash flow, the amount of uh, income you make every month annualized. So just multiply that by 12 after accounting for all of your reserves. 
So that divided by all the entry costs it took to get into the property. And for us, it you, it's going to include some form of a down payment. It's going to include closing costs. It's going to include um, any marketing or assignment fees we have to pay to a wholesaler, any rehab costs, things like that. So we're looking for a cash to cash return of no less than 20%, ideally 30% and above. We're looking to walk into equity if possible. There's no specific requirement. But if we're walking into equity, we know we're feeling comfortable with that. Um, and then we're also looking to buy it at less than 10% of the sale price itself. We're trying to get the all-in costs at less than 10% of the uh, sale price. So $100,000 property, we're trying to be all-in at $10,000 or less when we buy that property. And that's like unheard of in the conventional side. Like you just can't, you can't structure an investment property like that. You're going to pay 25%. I think 10, 12% is great returns, you know, when it comes to uh, on-market deals. And usually unless you're doing a massive rehab or a distressed property, you're not walking into equity typically. I mean, you can, I guess that's where real value is walking into equity conventionally. That's awesome. Um, How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram. I'm trying to post more content. I've never really been too public about a lot of this stuff. I've kind of just been a stealth wealth, just building, you know, accumulating. Um, So M-I-C-H-A-E-L-M-N-A-T, Michael, and the first four letters of my last name. You can check me out on Instagram. I'm putting a few of our seller calls on YouTube. It's not really out there yet. It's really more for our internal team. Um, but Instagram's probably the best place to start. And then um, I'll add a link tree in there so you can kind of keep in touch with what else we're doing because we are growing our wholesale team. But, and we're only doing this because we've helped so many people on an individual basis be able mm-hmm. to close their first few deals. But we've also talked to so many people that say they want to get into real estate and then you're just talking to them and talking to them and talking. You're answering all these theoretical questions and whatever, these hypotheticals and whatever. And it's like, Hey, go make a few calls or go get into a problem first and let's help you solve that problem. Stop just asking questions. So our whole thing is based on trying to simplify what is it that you have to do? You don't have to know much, but you have to just be willing to take action and we'll guide you through most of the steps. We'll help you, you know, if a transaction is A to Z, all we need you to do is get really good at like B to D. That's all you need to focus on is making that intro call, building rapport, seeing if that's a warm lead and then helping and then working together to underwrite that deal and submit a letter of intent or an LOI. So we just want people to get really proficient one skill at a time. So that's kind of what we're doing when we're expanding our team in that regards. That's amazing. Yeah. So bring your JV deals and uh, connect on Instagram. We'll put your uh, link in the show notes as well. So people can just scroll down and hit that button and, and come say hi, Mike, thank you so much. This has been super informative and, um, yeah, the sub two world is something I'm not particularly au fait with, but it's it's a fascinating piece of uh, real estate kind of uh, strategy. And, and uh, I, I don't mean to add one more thing, but I didn't really talk too much about deals, but just real quickly, just to give you an idea of what we're doing, right? So we bought a, last week or two weeks ago, we bought a property. We took over subject to fully, no money down to the seller. Um, just cover closing costs and all that. 3% interest rate. We're closing a deal this week. It's supposed to be today, but it's going to be tomorrow that a wholesaler brought to us. It was supposed to be a traditional cash purchase. We ended up buying that one subject to as well to give us enough time to do the flip and we'll refinance out of it uh, later. But we're doing that at 3% interest rate with uh, no money down in that scenario. We have another one that's almost a million dollar luxury duplex that the seller has 
around 15% equity. So we're seller financing his equity, giving him 50K down on that. So buying it for uh, five, is that 5%? I don't know, whatever, 10%? I don't know, whatever. I, I lied, I guess I'm not good at math. But, and then we're taking over his 3% <laughs> interest rate and we're seller financing it at 0%. Just kind of show you the awesomeness of like being able to structure deals yourself instead of the bank telling you, hey, these are your terms. Like, like it or leave it, like that's it. So that's what I really love is being able to structure these deals. Yeah, it really gives you that flexibility to uh, kind of, uh, I guess, factor in that exit strategy as well mm-hmm. and kind of plan for that um, in the future. Yes, sir. So I, just, I figured, you know, people want to hear maybe about a few deals I like going it. on too. So. No, you're all good. That's gold. <laughs> cool. Thank you, gentlemen. Thank you, Mike. And we'll be back next week. Thank you for listening to the Investories Podcast. We all have a story. What's yours? The Investories Podcast.